This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. There's a tug of war in Washington over the federal minimum wage. Right now, it's $7.25 an hour. Democrats would like it to be $15 an hour. Republicans have opposed bills to raise it that high. And because of this stalemate in Congress, the minimum wage has remained flat. It's now been 10 years without any increase, the longest stretch on record. So states and towns have been raising minimum wages on their own. And one California city, Emeryville, now has the highest rate in the country at $16.30 an hour. Today on the show, what are the consequences, intended and unintended, for the place that made its minimum wage the highest in the country? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, August 19th. Emeryville is just north of San Francisco. And for years, it was just like any suburb. But as tech started booming in Silicon Valley, prices all over the Bay Area soared. I mean, there's no place probably in the country where the housing is so expensive. In Emeryville, uh, the cost of a average home is like, you know, $600,000. Uh, in San Francisco, where I am, the, the average is like $1.5 It's insane. And wages just haven't kept up. Jim Carlton is a national reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Emeryville, it's a gleaming uh, high-rise condominiums and townhomes. Um, there are new businesses. Most famously, uh, Pixar is headquartered there. You know, unless you're uh, an engineer at Pixar or Apple or Google, where you're making six figures, uh, a lot of people are just kind of hand-to-mouth. And so Emeryville wanted to kind of do their part. In 2015, to do their part, Emeryville City Council decided to raise the city's minimum wage. At first, it went from $9 an hour to $12.25. I mean, at the time, it was just so low, and the disparity is so high between, you know, the cost of living out here in California and the wages. So I think there was broad agreement, uh, you know, maybe a few naysayers, but not many. Jim spoke to the owner of a local sports bar about how she felt at the time. I mean, this woman, Marilyn Boucher, that I talked to, she said, absolutely. We as a whole, as an industry, have been paying too low, and it's time to help out. Emeryville's minimum wage increase was the culmination of a campaign that's been spreading across the country in recent years. And the roots of that movement started around a century ago, based on the same need as Emeryville to make sure workers were protected. The federal minimum wage dates all the way back to the 1930s. But will attempt to give to the industrial workers of the country a more fair way to return, to prevent cutthroat competition, to prevent unduly long hours for labor. It was uh, depression-era legislation. It was part of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Eric Morath covers labor policy and economics for The Wall Street Journal. 
it was in the same law that child labor was to say like, hey, it's just not fair to have a 13 year old working in a factory. And it's just not fair to have someone only be paid a nickel an hour or some extremely low rate. Once the law was passed, it was up to Congress to keep raising the minimum wage. And that happened generally every three to five years for decades, until 2009. That was the last time Congress approved a minimum wage hike. President Obama proposed raising the minimum wage in several of his last State of the Union addresses, but given uh, Republican opposition in Congress, there was, it was very clear then that there was not any chance of that happening, and there hasn't been much movement since President Obama's left office. Because of that impasse in Washington, momentum has shifted to the state and local level. In 2013, a movement began to raise the minimum wage. It started in one town, a tiny town by the Seattle airport called SeaTac. So their top demand was $15 an hour. Labor unions and progressive groups identified this as a city where there happened to be a lot of low-wage workers, right? Hotel workers, fast food workers at at the airport, even people that clean the airplanes, and realized that the city would have the ability to raise the minimum wage outside of even the state and certainly the federal government. And so they got it on the ballot. And in November 2013, they became the first city to set a f- eventual $15 minimum wage. That set the precedent. After that, things really got rolling. You saw the same sort of thing come to Seattle, come to San Francisco, come to many cities in the Bay Area and a handful of places elsewhere in the country. You might remember a few years ago, pictures of fast food workers protesting in the streets of of New York and elsewhere, demanding $15 in a union. Many other cities and now six states just passed a minimum wage of $15 an hour. All moved to not only set higher minimum wage, but $15 an hour became the standard. Today, a $15 minimum wage is part of the Democratic Party's platform, and almost all the Democratic presidential candidates say they support it. Those in favor say an increase is desperately needed, because at today's rate of $7.25, even if you're working full-time, you could be living in poverty. Think about $15,000 a year is about the maximum you could make on the minimum wage unless you hold multiple jobs. A full-time worker earning the federal minimum wage that has a family of four is living below the poverty line. Back in Emeryville, when the town raised its minimum wage, it really did help workers. Our colleague Jim Carlton talked to people there who felt the benefits firsthand. I talked to uh, a young woman. She's about 18 years old, and she's going to college, and she also is helping support her family. And she says this is fantastic because it's just more money she can save. There's um, a barista I talked to, uh, Sheena Liu, uh, at the Polaris Cafe. And she said she pays $1,500 a month in rent in her studio apartment. And she works at two coffee shops in two nearby cities where she only makes $13 an hour. You know, she told me that if she didn't have this raise in uh, Emeryville, that she'd probably have to cut back somewhere. And so it's helped people like that, definitely. But in Emeryville... What at first seemed like a popular solution is starting to cause problems for the community because the law built in increases. And so the minimum wage has kept going up and up every year for the last four years. 
Now it's at the highest level in the country, $16.30 an hour. I think it's unintended consequences going on here. I mean, I think that everyone, it was an agreement that, you know, we want, it, we want to do the right thing. We, you know, workers have been underpaid, and especially in a high-cost place like the San Francisco Bay Area. But I don't think that a lot of people realize what was going to happen. Those unintended consequences. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Volvo Cars. Distractions happen, but there are things that can help you stay focused, like the fully electric seven-seater Volvo EX90. It was made to help keep you and those around you on the road safe with LiDAR technology that can see what you sometimes can't, and a two-camera driver understanding system designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Visit volvocars.com US to learn more. Welcome back. While there are undeniable benefits for some workers when the minimum wage goes up, our colleague Eric Marath says there are also reasons that states stick to the lower federal level. So there's 21 states that haven't raised the rate above the federal level. And that and that includes kind of some of the states that you'd expect, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. And those arguments there is pretty simple. People get paid a lot less. Uh, I mean, $15 an hour, that's a starting rate for like people like teachers and firefighters in those states. Just the average wages in San Jose is double the average wages in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And it also includes states where there's been a heck of a lot of growth um, and the economies are, are pretty strong. And that includes Georgia and Texas. Some of the argument there is we don't want any impediments to our very fast growth. And we view a minimum wage as potentially tapping the brakes to our growth. Now, where these decisions get a little bit more interesting is when we're talking about things like warehouses. We've already seen Pennsylvania has been a major place, um, kind of the corridor between um, the Mid-Atlantic and New York. And oh, by the way, the minimum wage there is $7.25 an hour. So it's perhaps the case that there's a warehouse in Pennsylvania that would otherwise be in New Jersey if the minimum wage was equal in both states. Whether it's a warehouse or a restaurant, the minimum wage affects all kinds of staffing decisions. In fact, a government study released this year said that if Congress were to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, it would have a huge effect on businesses and on workers. There was a very influential report put out by the Congressional Budget Office, very well-respected nonpartisan organization, and they said raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, the federal minimum wage, would cost 1.3 million workers their jobs. Even though that same report showed more than a million people would be lifted out of poverty, even though that same report showed tens of millions of people would get a raise, you both help the most people and hurt the most people at $15 an hour. When Emeryville decided to raise its minimum wage, the impact cut both ways. Our colleague Jim Carlton 
found that while workers have benefited, a few local businesses have said they're struggling and are having to take action. Some have actually, you know, laid off employees and uh, others are cutting hours. Probably the most dramatic reaction that I heard was from a uh, small restaurant called Patatas Neighborhood Kitchen. And uh, it's kind of a Latin fusion uh, place. The owner, Marcus Quezada, actually eliminated an entire dinner shift and laid off six of his 10 workers. This guy, Doug Smith, at uh, Rudy's Can't Fail Cafe, which, <laughs> interesting uh, name, um, <laughs> yeah. that's after The Clash. One of his partners in the business is actually a lead guitarist of Green Day. Doug told me they actually have rights to use lyrics uh, in, in menu items from— <laughs> Like, what do they have? Well, they have uh, Deuces— Now, I'm not a Clash expert, so I don't know. They got the Deuces Wild. Um, that's two pancakes, um, uh, two eggs, and two bacon slices or sausage. Um, which, by the way, that's actually gone up to $14.50 from $11 in 2015. So he's had to raise that up uh, almost $4 um, for the Deuces Wild. You know, he's got like, um, you know, 40 employees, and uh, his costs were going up. Um, and um, as I was talking to him, in fact, he was sitting at a back um, table in uh, Rudy's when I uh, spoke with him a few weeks ago, and he had his little calculator out, and he's trying to figure out what the latest round of um, uh, increases is going to cost him. He hadn't actually figured that out yet. And he's also trying to figure out, well, should he shorten his hours? Right now, Rudy's is open from like 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, they're, they're known for music, but he's saying one thing they may have to do is, is close earlier, maybe 10 or 11. So there have been consequences. And uh, small restaurants have been hurt, and they're, and they're continuing to hurt. And they have less profit as a result of paying the higher wages. And as a result, they are doing things like raising prices on the menu, uh, which could lead to them losing business. Uh, that's It's unknown yet, but they're concerned about that. For the employees who get the increase, it's great, but it's a question how sustainable this is. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, these the, these little guys are definitely caught in the middle. And I think they're, you're seeing this in Seattle. You're seeing this in San Francisco. You're, you're seeing this in a lot of these high-cost cities. I think the biggest lesson, Kate, is that I don't think a city can act as an island, and I think, and what their frustration is, is that there's not a regional, uh, I mean, forget state, but even a region. Um, you know, he's, you know, here is Rudy's Can't Fail um, having to raise their menu prices uh, on their own, but yet you've got Oakland and Berkeley next door that they don't have that same pressure. In the spring, Emeryville tried to amend its law to include a carve-out for some small businesses essentially letting them pay their workers less than the new minimum wage. But labor groups came out strongly opposing the measure. They said that while they understand restaurants have a hard time paying higher wages, you can't take that out on workers. Their opposition helped stop the amendment from going through, and this year's increase went ahead as scheduled. That's all for today, Monday, August 19th. See you on Wednesday.